Welcome to the Harwood Hustle powered by PGC Basketball. We believe in the value of a coach. We're here to educate, empower, and encourage you to lead like never before. This week, we're joined by head coach Steve Gomez. Coach Gomez has over 30 years of experience and is headed into his 19th season as the head coach at Lubbock Christian University. They recently transitioned from the NAIA to the Division II level, and in their six seasons of being eligible for the postseason, they've won three national championships. They're also the first Division II program to have two undefeated seasons. In this episode, we talk about fast-paced practices, how they teach and execute over 100 set plays, and the importance of senior leadership in their program. Before we start, a quick word from PGC Basketball. Coaches, our in-person clinics are back and we couldn't be more excited. Don't settle for being the same coach next season that you were last season. Our PGC coaching clinics will give you the tools, knowledge, and inspiration to transform your coaching so you get the results you deserve. Every clinic features 22 different topics covering all aspects of the game, including essential practice drills, offensive systems, defensive systems, dealing with parents, building a winning culture, and so much more. Join us this fall in Phoenix, Louisville, Atlanta, Dallas, Salt Lake City, or Chicago. If you're ready to take your coaching and your team to new heights, go to pgccoaching.com to select your clinic and sign up. That's pgccoaching.com. Coaches, welcome back to the Hardwood Hustle. We have a really special guest in Steve Gomez, three-time Division II national champion. And we're going to dive into what is the special sauce, what makes champions, and what has he done over the years. So, Coach, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. What you do for basketball. Absolutely. Well, well, Coach, you know, what often happens, you know, you, you guys had a ton of success, especially the last three years with the three national championships and sometimes people see that and but they don't see what got you there they don't see what happened maybe years ago in the building blocks and and so could you speak a little bit too are there some building blocks some markers that you would highlight for our listeners that were you know foundational in establishing that championship culture and habits in your program that has allowed y'all to have so much success yeah, you know, so much of it really goes back. And again, as a college coach, you have an opportunity to recruit the kids that you want from places you want. And so a high school coach would be a little hamstrung in that. But uh, we always just tried to get players from programs that they knew how to win. They knew how to play as a team. Uh, we weren't looking for the best player on teams that weren't successful. We've always looked for really good players from good programs. So the key for us really is the high school programs, the high school coaches uh, we're fortunate in this part of the country to have a lot of good programs that are used to winning uh, and, and they're used to being team. You know, we uh, really, this may sound like a terrible recruiting tool, but one of the key things is for us to tell a kid first off that they're not that important. I mean, that's one of the most important building blocks of our program is for each kid to know they're not that big a deal. And so we don't want them coming in thinking we're going to cater to them. Uh, you know, these days so much, uh, there's just so much individualism in everything people are doing. And we want to fight against that current uh, and let kids know they're going to come be part of something bigger than them uh, and learn to sacrifice. So uh, I guess maybe the, the key building stone is just sacrificial players. And that that's kind of like the, the Greg Popovich quote of like, get out. We're looking for guys that are over themselves. So, but when you're in college recruiting and you're messaging that you, of course, you might scare away some and maybe that's what you're trying to do right you're trying to filter out those 
But do you find you lose out on some really good players when you're doing that? Or you feel like we're getting, I mean, obviously what you've done has worked. So it reinforces the philosophy you've had, but maybe speak to that. Well, and this, this, again, this might be controversial, but I think recruiting females into that, that environment is easier than recruiting males into that environment. A lot of times guys think they're better than they are. And a lot of times girls don't realize how good they are, but they also don't want to be the star. Sometimes you get a kid, even we have some of our best players who still are reluctant at times to step out and get it done. And so uh, we have to continually pump. We, we need you at this moment to be the star. Uh, if you are, and some of those kids as freshmen and sophomores realize you're not the star yet. So we don't need you to try to do that. And so uh, a lot of that is uh, maybe role assignment, telling kids what they are, where they are now and how that might change over time. But uh, really getting kids to buy in, not only we don't want them to accept a role on our team. We want them to embrace a role and love it uh, as opposed to just putting up with it. So uh for us, that, that's a big part of it. But I do really think uh, if we do lose some players over that, you know, if a kid's going to come in and basketball is the most important thing to them, you really, they, this may not be the place. We want them to have a bigger picture of life, uh, a bigger picture of relationships. Uh, so we want them to be excellent in basketball. I mean, we want that, but that's not going to define them. And so I, we find that females are looking for uh, more of a relational, uh, you know, a bonding experience. Whereas again, guys are more on their performance. Some I always have told people, I think, uh, you know, a guy has to play good to feel good and our, our girls need to feel good to play good. And so there's a lot of that that goes into it. Yeah. I think that's really true. I, I started out coaching women in college my first couple of years and been coaching men for a while. I think all those statements are really, really true. Coach, you were 15 years a high school coach before, correct? And was that with boys? Yes, that you were coaching? Yes, it was. Yes, it was boys high school. I loved it. It was a great time. Yeah. So that kind of probably gave you some balancing perspective. So my question is to that, like, you know, as you went through this, becoming from a high school coach into a college coach, what lessons did you take away from high school that really helped you to be successful? And, you know, making that transition as you were thinking about what am I going to do when I transition to college? You know, what were those things that helped you from the learnings of high school to become a college coach? Yeah, I think for, uh, you know, I never considered as a high school boys coach, Really, I never considered coaching females in college uh, until a friend of mine who was the coach here asked me if I'd consider coming and taking this job. And I I went and watched them play and I thought, wow, I mean, those those girls are tough. They're competitive. Uh, and so I didn't have to change much of strategically what I did in high school with boys in terms of offenses, defenses, you know, maybe less alley-oops, but but not a whole lot of difference in the general structure of the game. Uh, because the college women can really play. Uh, and so some of that was just the discipline. You know, I think every kid, high school boy, college female, you know, father, whatever, is looking for, they like discipline. They may not always want it, but they need it. And so some of the discipline I had tried to impose upon those high school boys who definitely needed it, uh, you know, I was able really to bring to the college girls and, and they they love playing as a team. They took more to the team game than, than the high school boys did that I coached. Again, just they're always willing to do whatever. And so uh, I think those 15 years prepared me a lot strategically uh, in those ways. The relational aspect took me a number of years. I'm still working after 18 years to figure out how to communicate with my, with my female players. The, the biggest thing I've done here is have a female assistant who's a tremendous mentor to our girls. 
because she translates a lot of times for what I'm trying to say. Uh, but just having really mature girls has, has been the key for us. Uh, but it really wasn't a hard transition from high school boys to college girls. The game was pretty similar. You know, we talk a lot about like the science and the art of basketball. And you mentioned strategically not changing much from high school boys to college girls. So would you mind sharing, you know, a little bit about what y'all do offensively and defensively and, and what you really like? Yeah. You know, really, since I came here, sort of an overarching philosophy. I mean, on offense, we want to sort of pressure offense. Like we want to be aggressive on offense up the floor early. Uh, and we want to play solid non-gambling defense. So we're sort of trying to play a solid defense with an aggressive offense, as opposed to some teams can defend with aggression and create offense out of their defense. Uh, we just, uh, that's just not how we're built. I guess I may be a little more averse to risk. And so defensively, I don't like to get out of position and give up easy baskets. Whereas some teams that helps speed the game up and that's what they want. So there's so many ways to do it well, but uh, so offensively, you know, early on uh, my first years, we did a lot of, you know, post play, uh, a lot of pounded inside physical type play. Uh, and over the years, we've sort of opened the floor up a little more just with our, just the different personnel we've had. Uh, really what I want to be able to do is trust our players. We run a ton of stuff. I think on our, our whiteboard here in our locker room, one of our players counted our plays inbound sidelines at like 126 set plays, underneath out, out of bounds, sideline out of bounds, transitions. So we require mentally a ton. So I think the strategic thing that we've seen here is these girls are really mature and smart. And so we really try to tax them mentally a lot. So the, the, we want to be real versatile, I guess, is the key. We're not real, uh, you know, 2016, our postseason, every postseason game, we played two, three zone the entire postseason. You know, this year we hardly played zone at all in the postseason. So year to year, our teams change, uh, we want to, do, I guess, strategically, whatever the other team does well, we don't want to let them do it. I mean, that's basically what we do defensively. And offensively, we just want to be really solid and unselfish to where we're – the key for us, I mean, honestly, both ends of the floor is just don't be stupid. I mean, that's really the whole – I mean, that sounds bad, but that's – I mean, here's the two, the two things I want to get across. You're not that important, and don't be stupid. That's basically our philosophy. I like that. I'm gonna go tell my guys that here in a minute. There's, there's, there's two things I want from you. <laughs> Makes a lot of good sense, though. So, Coach, tell me how does, how does that come to life in practice, right? Like, what are you doing in practice to make those things happen? We have 126 plays. What's how much is five on zero? Oh, how much is five on five? Like, can you walk us through? I know it changes preseason, midseason, end of season, but in general, your practice philosophy. What does it feel like to be in your practice sessions? Yeah. And that's a great question because here's sort of how we try to get them mentally, uh, you know, really mentally aware, mentally versatile, mentally quick. We never practice more than an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, we just can't, we want to go fast. So drill to drill instructions are always given at a rapid pace and not a lot of uh, explanation and stand and talk. Our older girls sort of propagate this opportunity, this, situation. You know, once the older kids get it, by the time they're juniors and seniors, they are driving the team. So in practice, we just move through things really quick, uh, you know, drill to drill, not a lot of wasted time. Uh, so they're always mentally on to the next thing fast. And so there will be times in our season, obviously, of, uh, hey, we're going to come back tonight and for 30 minutes, put on some plays and walk through them. 
but we try to separate the time when we practice. It's going to be intense and fast moving uh, instead of breaking it up with a lot of standing around or talking to where the intensity level goes up and down. Uh, we just try to keep the in, it, it hot. I mean, we want to have a hot practice uh, where they leave. They're excited to come because they know it's going to not be long. And afterwards they're tired, but they almost want to stay around with each other a little longer because we haven't worn them down. Uh, so to get all that information, it's bit by bit over, you know, we'll start putting stuff on the second, third, fourth week of practice. Uh, a lot of it we do in small breakdown, two on two, three on three drills where the movements that are in all of our stuff are drilled in competition. And it's not, you know, Hey, five down there, five down here, let's walk through everything. Cause that usually will kill a practice intensity wise for us. Uh, so, uh, I guess when I tell players, I mean, it's not easy to play here in terms of the mental ex expectation. Uh, and we want kids to come in as freshmen knowing this is not going to be easy on you, but, and we're going to tell you up front what it is. And so if you want the challenge, we'll, we'll be ready to give it to you. Uh, but our old kids just amazing how much they absorb. I think it also helps us defensively because anytime a team runs something, we'll have seen it in practice against ourselves. There's not a screen action or a, a movement or a set play uh, that we will not have defended ourselves. So I think all of the offensive overload helps prepare defensively in short turnarounds, you know, where, it, you know, Hey, that team, they, that play is sort of like what we run here. So you don't have to relearn everything uh, scouting wise. So hopefully that's helpful. So keeping it hot and, you know, keeping practice hot. I like, the, I like that terminology. It, does that, get messy when there's a lot of teaching that has to go on. Like, how do you, how do you make time for teaching in a practice? Yeah. You know, and some of that even is uh video and you know, we video practice. And so we will then maybe, you know, at some point sit down and watch practice. And this is what we're talking about, but the instruction is given really quick, but also we're just, we're trying, I think we want to catch them doing it right. As opposed to constantly correcting what's wrong. And so those younger kids will learn by mimicking the older kids so it's not that the coach has to show and, you know, dictate every activity that's going on. Just tell those younger kids, hey, watch how she does it. You know, follow their lead. And those older kids know they've got to pass it on. Because if they don't, the team's going to be hurt and it's going to affect them too. And so that there is teaching that has to be done, but it's done in a rapid succession. We're not going to operate the, the lowest common denominator. I, be, I guess basically we just refuse – some of them have realized if they're not going to get it, they're going to have to figure it out later. And we have sometimes our young freshmen, they'll ask the seniors to meet them later in the evening to go over stuff with them. Uh, to me, that's much better than me forcing it, force feeding them uh, to where everybody has ownership in it, as opposed to me, you know, requiring everybody to do these things. So the heat is there. And I, you know, I try and we, we do different drills all the time, but there, they're used to being mentally uh, pliable. And so they don't think we're going to do the same drills every day. Cause I think that can get stale for those kids. Uh, so a lot of them like the challenge and uh, we like to, we like to put them on the, we want to always under stress mentally to where when a game comes, not necessarily physical stress, we don't just run the, we don't just condition. We just play hard and fast in practice, but the mental strain on them, they get used to handling it so they're not under duress when it comes game time. That's great. Love that. Sounds like just an approach learning by doing and not by listening to a coach. You know, there's nothing 
for me, when I go visit practices, listening to a coach go on a 15 minute monologue while all the kids or players are watching, mm -hmm. you know, Steve, uh, TJ and I spent a lot of time in recent weeks talking with some of our guests and just um, also in, you know, private conversations talking about splits and splits of what do you shoot from the field and then what do you give up and prepping for this, this conversation with you and looking at your, this past season, you guys shot 47% from the field and you gave up 34, a 13 percentage split, pretty significant. And then on three pointers, you were 37 and gave up 27. Those are, those are pretty high wide margins. So there's a couple of different ways you want to go with this talking about offensively and defensively to only give up 34 from the field and 27 on defense. You said you're solid, you know, can you just go into some tangible things y'all do that you think of, have found a lot of success for you that other coaches could learn from? <laughs> Dude, I'm still learning. I mean, that's one of those things that sometimes like the teams that win a lot, it's not those coaches know what they're doing better than others. They just have players that made plays at the right time. So it's hard for me to, I couldn't tell another team what to do with their players unless I had their players and worked with them. But what, what we do, that's a good question. What we do, we're, we're real scout driven. Uh, so individually, you know, shooter, non-shooter, you know, force them left, force them right. We have a lot of, I guess our basic defensive philosophy is don't let it go middle. You know, we usually play behind the post. We don't full front or anything to where we, you know, have rebounding issues there or skip pass issues. Uh, we just try to, again, we just try to play solid depending on who we're playing. Uh, some of the things we uh, we early help. We don't deny. So we're always want to be in gaps. We just want everybody shooting contested shots. Uh, just shoot contested shots. And, and there's one game this year. We played a team. We forced every player on their team left. We just didn't think many of them were very good. So even like on the, you know, on the right wing where middle is left, well, we say, all right, force her left, force her to go to the middle. Uh, so we're really situational. Uh, so much of it is, you know, we talk about not being stupid, but, you know, in a game at one point that play is a good play. At another time it might be the stupid play. We have to know at what situation we want to making the wise play. You know, we talk a lot about wisdom playing as opposed to good hustle or, you know, those things, you know, it's either stupid or it was wise. We've got to make those plays. And so defensively we want to scout well. And those players have to know, because we switch a lot. They can't just know who they're supposed to guard. Now they've got to know every player on that opposing team because if they end up on them, take away the left shoulder in the post. You know, those type things that we just can't mess up on or else we're not going to have success. Uh, and then we'll zone. We zone some teams a lot. We try to change up defenses significantly. Uh, but late in the year, we just went straight man because we just, I don't know, can't afford a possession where we really weren't committed. And uh, so I don't know if that makes sense or not. But well, I do. I do have one. One quick question for you on that. So, you know, like habits are a big part of, of a player, you know, being successful. And if you're, I heard you say you don't allow middle, but then one scout, you say, hey, we're going to on the right wing force them left, but you tax your players mentally. But my question is, is it hard to flip a habit like that? Yeah, okay. certainly. And, it, you know, again, so like, I mean, for example, in zone, our bottom people force middle. In man, you should guard and force them baseline. But, even man to zone, our rules change a little bit. But what our kids find out, the ones that can't get it aren't going to play. I mean, we just have, you know, if some of them are realizing, you know, why am I not getting opportunities? Well, because you make mistakes constantly mentally in practice. 
And for them to watch themselves video, you know, watch themselves play and practice, that helps a lot too. We can say, this is what I'm talking about. Most kids think they're better than they are, or they don't realize how many mistakes they're making. And so we have to constantly eliminate that gap of mental mistakes because uh, sadly, a lot of times it ends up being the older kids that play the most, although not always. Uh, but the ones that can pick it up mentally are the ones that are going to play. And sure, it does. It, it really maybe doesn't make sense to change that many rules. And sometimes I honestly ask those kids, man, this is too much. And uh, sometimes it might be, but I would rather them be having to challenge and grow mentally than just do the same thing all the time. Uh, we want to be able to, all right, if it's not working, then we'll do something different, but let's do what works. And if it screws up, then I'll take the blame instead of you as a player being the one that thinks you know better. Coach, I got two questions. I want to follow up one on the defensive end and then move to the offensive side of the ball. What, what determines whether you're switching from man to zone? Like you said, some games you went there. It sounds like at the end of the year, you just had the highest level of trust in your man. That's what you were playing the best. Mm -hmm. Over the course of the season, what really dictates that change for you? Yeah. I'm, sadly enough, sometimes I just get bored and I just want to change for my sake. It's not even for a, a, a great reason. Uh, but then there are teams – you know, three-point shooting is pretty suspect. You know, but they rebound. You know, we'll just pack it in the lane, play zone, make them shoot some shots. Uh, you know, some teams, uh, just to make them constantly mentally have to change what they're doing. You know, some teams, if they just go once one thing, they get in a rhythm. Uh, so just to make that team have to stop and think. Now, some teams in zone just sort of stand around and don't do much. And so, you know, why not stand with them and then block them out? Sometimes it's just a matter of, hey, we're just going to go into a game and on a made three, we're going to run a one, two, two zone. On a made two, we're on man. On a miss, we're on a two, three zone to where every possession, depending on the results of our offense, keys our defense. And our kids like that too. I think a lot of times they enjoy the challenge of having to, to adjust and change a lot too. So, but you're right. This year, towards the end of the year, it got pretty much where short turnarounds, postseason, we were really in a good rhythm, man. We switched a lot, uh, even, I know you're not talking about defenses, but even personnel, uh, we switched so much away from the ball, on the ball, screens. Uh, it just worked for us. Talking about your, your switching, before I get to the offensive question right there, is, you know, you know, different players have different defensive strengths, right? When you switch, then mm. um, you might have different personnel. Then they got to know the scouting report as well. What are some keys to switching? I think a lot of people just talk about switching and say, oh, we're just going to switch, you know, but obviously you don't hold somebody to 34, 35 percent from the field and not really have a deeper plan to how you're going to switch. So yeah. if a coach wanted to switch, what are some things they need to be aware of? <laughs> the first thing I would say is have five senior starters and that makes it easier. On you. <laughs> you know, we've really played our top seven were seniors and juniors. And so, you know, if you watch in the games on fourth quarter, when we had some of our other kids in, it didn't look the same, you know? So the keys are some of those are, uh, you know, the basic man principles jump to the get ball side of every screen, get ball side of every screen, you know, uh, bottom person has to communicate it as opposed to the top person waiting for a switch to come. Uh, you know, really good teams expose those, what I call loose switches. When you're switching loose, uh, you're leaving curl gaps or back cut gaps. Uh, so a lot of it's, since we're not denying, you know, we shouldn't ever be waiting to steal a pass. We should be de as deep as our man and then take what comes up in front of you. If your teammate tells you to switch, uh, 
but you know, those are those shell defensive drills. Uh, but it's also, uh, you know, just freelance movement of just letting kids run around and play and see if they can adjust to something that's not a set movement. Uh, it's, it's communication, it's intelligence, it's anticipation, uh, and it's experience, I think, because some of our senior freshmen come in and they're not used to that, and they just get exposed uh, really quickly. Uh, so I, it's just demanding it, expecting it, showing them on video, and, and then putting them in drills over and over, competition. I think some of the setup drills where you set them up, where it's a set motion, it doesn't teach them as much because they know what's coming. So I think the live action has to really create those opportunities to teach that stuff. Yeah, it's really good. Moving to the offensive side of the ball really quickly, Coach. Um, You said you like to generate pace and you want to play with pace. So two-part question, what exactly does that mean to play with pace? And then the second part of that question is, how are you trying to generate shots in your offense? Like what is – when your players say, we're trying to get this shot and this shot – how are you generating those shots and why have you chose to generate those shots? Yeah. You know, we just, we want, and we're not a short shot clock team, but like early in the year, we'll, we'll scrimmage. We'll go five minutes with a 12 second shot clock or 12 or five minutes with a 14 second shot clock just to teach them, Hey, we can get up and get a shot quickly. And it just creates some uh, aggression early in the possession instead of, you know, walk, we don't ever really just want to walk it up uh, unless there's like, you know, fourth quarter, 12 point lead, five, something like that. But we want to, we just want to, we think we'll find teams being lazy more often than we'll get exposed being lazy. And so we just want to look for the first opportunity, you know, we'll just wing run and attack on the dribble, you know, or just throw it up to the wing and throw it in the post before our defense is set. That's going to always be create the best opportunities for us. So you know, it's a, it's a really opportunistic pace. Some people play fast, uh, but again, that's where the stupid comes in. They can play fast and they can uh, get shots up, but they're not great shots, but they're just going. And so for that, that pace is usually get the ball in bounds quick, hopefully not on makes too often. You know, that's what it helps to miss. But then uh, we're not real assigned as far as two run the right side, three run the left side, all that. So we just want to cover the court uh, and play that way. Then, uh, once we get in the offense, we just want, I don't want the, we want the ball moving. We don't want ball stoppers who get it and stare at anything. Uh, we just want the ball moving on the pass. We do a lot of uh, team shooting drills, but we'll swing it, swing it, drive it, and have maybe two passes coming out of that action to where they're used to always seeing what's the next play. But we don't want a good shot. We want a great shot. And we need to be willing to give up a good one to get a better one. And so the unselfishness of our team this year, I think our assist turnovers were pretty good because they, you know, they were willing to find the next player. Uh, and then when it's time to take a shot, we need to be ready as well. You know, in college, sometimes you don't have many options or opportunities. So you need to be ready when that time is there. And so, uh, again, we, we run some set offenses and a lot of set plays. Usually the plays are out of a dead ball or something. We don't want to take the ball up the floor, back it up, call a play and run it. We want to just flow into offense every time. Uh, so, Honestly, some of that even comes from while we're on the defensive end, I'm telling them what we're about to run on the off while they're playing defense. They know what we're going to on offense the next time. So, you know, we'll be defending. I'll say, Hey, we're running into this. And so they know initially, as soon as the ball's got, they got it. They know what they're doing. Again, I think it comes to nimble mental kids. That's really good. And shifting gears on you coach for a second. 
Talk about leadership. How do you do you empower your players a lot where if we walked into your practice, would we see a lot of, you know, players leading players, a lot of accountability from player to player? Or, you know, is it more traditional, maybe coach and top down? How's your program play out from that standpoint? Yeah, really probably the best the probably the best thing you could get if you were at you probably should have our seniors on instead of me because they honestly they're the ones that always drive they drive everything uh you know whether that's from performance readiness uh attitude you know the kind of seniors that are hey telling the freshmen hey you guys go first you know you get in line to eat first we're going to be last uh it's it's a backwards philosophy uh in terms of you know the oldest need to serve the youngest and so they do that even to the point of this year, you know, a couple of seniors coming up with those freshmen that we're still figuring what's going on out here and they run them through the place. Whereas opposed to, uh, again, Hey, I tell everybody be here at seven o'clock. They do it on their own. Uh, it's just, it takes a rare person as you know, the parents of our kids obviously have done a great job. We're not doing a deal. We come in and try to teach them all how to serve people. You know, that's the worst thing we could do is try to take a selfish kid and try to force them to be unselfish. We want to get unselfish kids and help them to grow up into into what that really looks like. And so it is certainly a player driven, older kids take care of the youngers. Uh, You know, they do such a good job of that. And uh, it's just again, it's sort of passed on year to year. And there's been years where if the senior leaders aren't good, it's going to be a fight. It's just that's where I think our teams underachieve is when the senior leadership isn't strong. That's when a team sort of un, you're always frustrated. There's always a little gap that's not getting met. But we've been fortunate to have a lot of really good senior leadership. So I don't know if that makes sense or not. But we do a lot of individual meetings. I mean, our expectations. Here's my math equation. I taught math for 15 years. You know, I say you know expectations minus reality equals frustration. So whatever the reality is, if their expectation is this high, but the reality is here, that gap is going to be filled in with frustration. So we make sure we tell those kids, I meet with them a lot individually. Here is where you are. Here's what we need you to do. For example, you, Hey, we, you're going to play 30 plus minutes a game. We need you to try to score. So on. And there's a, another kid. Hey, if we're up 20 with three minutes left, that's probably, you might get in the game, but you need to know until that, they're going to know who's going to play, who's not going to play. So they're not always wondering and hoping for more. That clear expectation and, and uh, assignment helps them relax into their role. Yeah, I like that a lot, role identification. But let me ask you this. What about, have you come across players that didn't want to accept their role? And what, where does that go? Like when they struggled to accept what you might have for them or what's best for the team? Yeah, that goes to the transfer portal. That's where that goes. <laughs> I mean, that's where, I mean, you know, honestly, I mean, we have kids and we'll tell them if we see, I mean, like right now, this spring, if there's a kid that next year, listen, you know, you're going to be a junior. You're still probably not going to play. I mean, I just don't see you. Your role's not going to go up any next year from what it was this year. So, so the choice for that girl is one, find We can help find a place you want to play. Two is you might consider being a student assistant and just take the pressure of the game off of you and just help and enjoy your teammates. Or three, realize that's the case. And if you can, if you will not be an energy drain, you're welcome to be part of this team and keep working. But 
sometimes it's time to quit something. I mean, there's a time where it's, it's time to move on. Basketball is not going to last forever. Some I just, sometimes I have to send them into that part of life earlier than maybe they want. But if any kid's going to be a drain on our team, and I'll talk with our seniors about that. If they see a teammate that is pulling energy out of the locker room, you know, if they think, Hey, this would be better. then I'll be glad to help them help them help the team by removing that problem. You know, it's just not going to, it's not going to get into a, well, uh, you know, okay, I'm going to give you a shot here. And if you take the best of it, I, we can't afford two bad possessions in a game just for an experiment in some kids' feelings. Yeah. I want to go, go back to the, you know, talking about practice and the culture you build. And it, it sounds like you want a really healthy culture of competition. Let me, is that fair to say? No, definitely. Certainly. Yeah. And, and so how, I think that's a, an underrated skill competing is a skill like shooting is like passing, finishing, and it's one that I think drives really, you know, successful teams. So what do you do to draw out yeah. really healthy competition? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's perception. Just the other day uh, after we finished, I talked to them about some of you are playing hard, but you're not competing. I mean, you can play physically hard, but mentally you're not competing by your decisions. I mean, your physical effort's fine, but so there is a big difference there. And we want kids, again, we talk a lot about you're not competing with her. You're competing for her. I mean, you're competing for the team. You're not competing with that player to be able to play more than them. You need to be competing for that player to help everybody get better. Uh, and so, again, some of it's, you know, drill, drill, drill consequence. You know, some people, every drill has to run. Or I, I honestly, so that's to me sometimes just personally, again, so many philosophies. I don't want to create competition by making the losers have to, you know, run a set of lines every time. It may have been that losing team really played better. They just missed good shots and the other team banked in a three. And so the quality of play may have been worse for the winning team than it was for the losing team. I don't know if that's teaching the right thing. We want to make the right play. If you make the right plays and still don't win, what else could you have done? So, competition by punishment to me again there's time there's a time they're not giving effort it's time to hey we'll do something to get you tired but uh we want competition for each other to me that's the friend teammate deal if this locker room is united and together they're gonna love playing with each other and against each other in practice it's when those relationships start cracking off the court, especially for a girls team that the, the competition can become caustic and dangerous to where it's more of an anger than it is out of a love. So we always want to play out of a love and joy, not out of a, you know, enemy, uh, even an opponent we play there. We're competing with that team. I mean, it's not like we're against them. We don't ever want to play against anything. Uh, we want to play for something. Uh, so I think even teammate to teammate, we can do that, realizing, hey, this girl's just better than you. Not, don't be mad at her. It's not her fault. Yeah, that, that's a really important distinction. You know, we were we we run clinics for years. I don't know if you know, there's a guy named Dean Lockwood. He's associate coach at Michigan State, was with Pat Summit for years mm -hmm. in Tennessee. And Dean was like you. He coached men's basketball for 15, 20 years, jumped over the women's side. And he told me a few years ago, he said, Sam, 
you know, the difference in coaching girls and guys, you said guys, you know, they, they, you battle, you know, before you bond and girls kind of bond first and then battle. And sometimes two, two girls might get into it and practice and that thing could linger on a month later. Whereas guys, they might get into it and they go get a hamburger afterwards and they're good. Yeah. Um, but I, I think what you said there is so key about the, you know, play for, compete for, not with. How do you manage? Um, how do you manage that that relationship? There is a healthy competition, mm-hmm. then there's a destructive competition, mm-hmm. and I think I think I've missed on that at times as a coach. But maybe help me or help other coaches. How do we create healthy competition? Yeah, well, you know, to me. Like you say, if they're not bonded a little, if they haven't invested in someone to even like the person, you know, it, that's just never going to happen. It, they, they have to have a respect, a like, an acceptance of each other. To me, it's time beforehand out of the locker room, off the practice floor. It's the ice cream runs. It's the eat together, Do you know, doing some team things where we have them get to know each other in certain ways. But it's the older players, again, and our female assistant who are constantly aware their antennas are up all the time in the locker room or outside the gym of, you know, is there some, you know, bad vibes coming out of this or is this person seeming isolated? So again, I cannot take any credit for any of that stuff that they're together. I mean, we have people interesting enough. They come to watch our games just to watch the players on the bench. Cause they're so, they, they just are invested. They're excited. They, they have fun cheering for their teammates. Uh, and so how does that get there? I just wish I knew. I just think it's a, it's, I think people like it once they lose themselves. It's just so hard to get over ourselves. Like you mentioned earlier, it's just, we're selfish. And I just like the first team meeting this year, the very first meeting of our season, I took them to a cemetery and we stood around and we sat around graves. There's an empty tomb there, sort of, you know, like an Easter empty tomb. But I just talked about eventually you're going to be in the cemetery. (laughs) I mean, you're going to die what are you going to do with your life? I mean, is they're not going to put your minutes and points per game on your tombstone. So if that's all you're living for, you're going to have an empty, miserable life. And so it's hard to constantly, even for me, an old man to keep the big perspective, what's really important. So we have to constantly keep that in front of them. Uh, you know, basketball is not going to define you, but well, that's hard. You know, you want to be successful and win a game, win a drill, but in the end, man, that stuff's going to be dusty in 10, 20, 30 years. And it's going to be gone. I'm still working on trying to figure that one out, but uh, we we don't want to downplay court success, but we also don't want to elevate it and uh, feel like if you don't have success on the court, then you're really not worth much. You you, coach, you might've answered the question a little bit in that last explanation, but I, I wanted our final question reading over your philosophy of coaching, my philosophy of coaching is a direct reflection of the things that are most important to my faith, my family, passion for developing teams of competition. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that? Like having your kind of North star, like this is who you want to be as a coach and as coaches develop their coaching philosophy and who they want to be, you obviously clearly have defined one Mm -hmm. and we'd love for, you know, coaches to be empowered to know, how do I do that? Like, how do I, how did you find your North star and how do they go about doing that? Yeah, you know, you know, on the wall in our locker rooms is competing for Christ. It's 
again, whatever we do, you know, Christian, non-Christian, whatever your belief system is, there's uh, there's always something bigger. So many times we take a maybe a, a religion, a faith, a, a belief in God and think, well, if I believe in he's going to do good things for me and going to help us win. I mean, that's the terrible way to look at things. I and mean, we want we want God to get glory, whether we win, lose, whatever, because in the end run, that's the key. I mean, that's the key to live a life that puts others first. You know, it's putting someone else as more important than me and ultimately putting God at the top of all of it. So trying to keep that perspective in the midst of competition and the heat of frustration, but that's a struggle. I mean, it's easy to talk about in the, in April in a locker room when those no games go on, but you know, after again, I don't want to go home after a game and think, man, that's embarrassing what I did at that ref, how I acted. We want to keep a, uh, just a balance about us. Uh, you know, I guess what the Greeks said in all things, moderation, uh, we don't, I don't want to be extreme. Uh, I want to stay steady. I think our team is fairly steady because hopefully the perspective provides that. Uh, but I think we've got to find what is most important Think about how hard teams are. Sometimes I don't want to put more hours of work in my day. I want to put more work into my hours to where I have, uh, some people will just spend time working thinking that's helping something because they say they work so many hours. Uh, even practice, a three-hour practice, if I can get it done in an hour and 20 minutes or 15 minutes, why not? So it's, I guess it's just taking everything we do and putting it in the picture of, in the long run, what's, what's most important. Uh, again, team, I just love teams. I love working with teams, developing teams, the personality of teams, and trying to get them to be as good as they can be. Because again, I think too many people underachieve. I, you know, I just think too many teams don't achieve what they could. But most of it's relational. And uh, in that, I don't know if that helps or not, but it's just a personal faith. But it's really not personal because really it's got to be community. And so it's a community of faith up here at our school, on our team. Uh, and then that should hopefully lead us to you know, reducing ourselves in the picture and trying to elevate others. And that's what I think we really need to try to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's just easy to see after talking with you this time, why you've been successful, I think about your overall philosophy. And I go back to Don Meyer, um, you know, after he got in his accident, he said, if I could just have a team, I'd be simple, sound and solid, you know, and when you're talking about your team and what you really want them to do, it's simple, sound and solid. And then, you know, on top of that, the icing on the cake is your transformational coach that's trying to impact lives and, uh, and really make a difference for the long run. You're using basketball as a vessel, um, to make a really big difference. And so uh, it's it's really easy to, and evident to see um, all of those things play out in this conversation and for play out on your team on the court. So, uh, you know, congratulations on being a champion, both on and off the court. Uh, we think coaches like you make a really big impact in the world. And so we uh, we just want to salute you for that and, and just thank you for spending time with us. Well, that's very helpful. I mean, I'm, I would be writing stuff down. I've got my phone here. Some of the things you've said, I'm like, man, I got to remember that because uh, there's always something else to learn. I mean, I, you mentioned transformational. I think of that inside out coaching book. Uh, I don't, I'm sure y'all probably read that, but what a term. I just read that this past during the pandemic, I was able to read all kinds of books. There's so many good books out there. Uh, so I would encourage me and all of us to keep finding something to read. Uh, Tony Dungy book, mentor leadership I'm reading right now. Uh, just tremendous stuff that like, I need to do better at that. There's always something we can improve on. We just want to be who we are. I mean, I was talking about, we, you can't be the two extremes are people that think they're better than they are, or people think they're worse than they are. 
both of those are dangerous. I just want our who are we and let's be the best of that that we can be. And uh, but this is great, which I appreciate your time. Coach, where can people follow you? I know they can follow your team if they have, you know, go online and watch your games. Love it, Christian. You Where, where else could coaches follow you? Do you have any social media that you use or a way that they could contact you? Or? <laughs> they can follow me around the gym. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't tweet. I don't Twitter. I, my wife, when we look at Facebook, maybe just to keep up with friends and relatives. I, I'm not adverse to social media. I don't think it's evil. I just don't it doesn't interest me to be putting stuff out. I don't know. I just, for number one, I think nobody would really care much if I did, but uh, second, that's just not what I do or who I am. I would love to talk to anybody on the phone. <laughs> they could email me or call. I'd, I mean, my cell phone's on my email and my, even my office voicemail. <laughs> well, well, if, if I was listening, I would be, I think you're, you're a wealth of knowledge, but they, they can go on your, on the love of Christian website and check out your email. And if they've got a question, certainly. And I, I would talk to anybody at any time. Uh, this is helpful. I, I, hopefully it's helped somebody, but uh, it's good for me. Honestly, that's really helpful. I want to see what's on the board behind him. What plays got drawn up there. Sam, what you got back there? Yeah, I don't know what play that is. Oh, okay. <laughs> it says, get the ball the best player, let him shoot it. <laughs> it. It's amazing how easy it is, huh? Yeah, and I don't think you need – I think 126 is good. I'm not sure you need 127 in the playbook. <laughs> okay. Let's keep it at 126 for right now. Oh, yeah, our girls sometimes – someone said, I think we may have only run that once this whole year. Well, it was important when we did, so – we want something for every situation. Yeah. Well, I love that coach. Thanks so much for taking time out of your day, you know, to share coach Gomez is, is a champion uh, three times over, uh, but more, even more important. She's, he is a champion to many women every single day as a coach. So we salute you for that. We thank you for your time. I am TJ. That is Sam. And we are the hardwood hustle. Thank y'all. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the hardwood hustle, where we believe in the value of a coach. We're committed to bringing you quality content and appreciate everyone sharing our episodes on social media and helping to grow our coaching community. We can't wait to be with you again next week.